Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Hi, Kim. Hi, Dan. It's us again. I know. <laughs> very exciting. I think people were very excited to see the first time that we ever presented yeah, a Friday Workplace Briefing it. together. Yes, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see how we go today. Yeah. There's been a lot on case law this week. So. No, it was different to last week where there was a lot yeah. going on. I think everyone decided to take a little bit of a break after yeah. closing the live stuff. Well, and our main topic today, that'll that's a very significant and often complex, I think it will be quite a complex um, piece of legislation if it goes through. So lots of work in store for IR lawyers, I think. I think so. <laughs> Okay. All right, so let's talk about the first case and it's another one of those considering what are the earnings when you're looking at the high income threshold, which we all know is around 167500 Yeah. Yeah. So in this case, the employer was trying to say that this employee was not protected from unfair dismissal because the total amount of their package was over the high income threshold and they were trying to claim in particular this $1,200 payment, which was like a membership payment to a professional professional body. body. Yeah. 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 And really interesting, they were trying to claim it under the non-monetary benefits, which is one of the factors for earnings. And in this case, where a commission said, well, although it is a non-monetary benefit, it doesn't meet that threshold because it was a requirement to actually perform their job. Mm -hmm. So it counted as professional development. So I think it would be comparable to engineers, how if you want to be an engineer, you actually have to have that membership with Engineers Australia. And if you don't, you can't perform your role. Yeah. Just like us with practicing certificates as well. <laughs> so anything that would be fundamental to carrying out the role is going to be considered professional development and will not constitute earnings. Yeah. So in that case, they lost and also because they tried to claim for bonuses, but they weren't fixed bonus amounts. It was on um, potential new business earnings. Okay. So it couldn't be counted either. So I think it's just a really important case. We often come across mm. employers where they have an employee on a substantial amount of money. It's like I had an employee who was on $200,000 and because he was on such a significant amount, the employer thought, okay, I'm not happy. I'm just going to walk in there and terminate, mm. which they did. And the employee filed an unfair dismissal claim yeah. because they happened to be captured under an award. Um, and if they're captured on an award or an enterprise agreement, then they are protected from unfair dismissal. Yeah. So please, please, please be careful when you are going to terminate someone. Double check if what their total package is and whether any of the considerations mm. would count towards earnings. Yeah, and because there's a lot of unexpected expenses yeah. that would be captured. So I was looking at this case law about there's so much case law, yeah. this sort of thing, because yeah. so many people are on that, that cusp, aren't they? Yeah. But and in, in one case, an employer paid their employees premium for their life insurance policy, oh. and that was captured. That put them over the threshold. Yeah. Private use of a company-supplied iPad or iPhone. Yep, and company cars as well. Yep, yep, absolutely, and overtime, but only if it's predetermined. Yeah, or fixed guarantees, guaranteed yeah. overtime. So take care, always get some legal advice and really think carefully before um, yeah, and terminating. Yeah, to be safe, just 
make sure your process is fair. That's yeah. the safest way to protect yeah, exactly. you, really. Yeah. <laughs> All right, on to the next case. Oh, this is a bit of a fun case. I've enjoyed <laughs> reading this one. This was a general protection application that a former employee had brought in the Federal Circuit Court. The employer had made quite a few offers and the employee rejected every one of them and even to the point that said to the employer, don't make me any more offers, I'm not interested. You're just trying to pay me hush money and I want to be reinstated. Her lawyer said to her, the chances of being reinstated are nil. Yeah, the relationship has clearly broken down. You're not going to succeed and there is a risk of a cost sort of being made against you. Now, that's very unlikely in this jurisdiction. It's a no-cost jurisdiction. Yeah, for all employment claims, yeah. yeah. But if a claim is brought vexatiously without reasonable cause and if there are little prospects of success, the court may order the employee or the applicant to pay indemnity costs. Now, that's a really big thing because indemnity costs are the employer's entire legal costs from a particular point depending on when they made a colder bank offer. Yeah, so they Um, usually have the offer and it says if you don't accept this offer, then we can claim costs from that date. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. And sweet victory, I think, for the employer in this case because a very unreasonable applicant and she got her just deserves. Yeah. I may say. (laughs) (laughs) So fun case every time we see employees who are misbehaving yes. yes, they're just as ads. Yeah. You never bring a, a case on principle. I hear it all the time, but don't do it. It's not worth it. Far too costly. All right. So this one was a really interesting one, yeah. and I think it slipped a little bit under the radar. So there was an employee who was working as a waiter in the mahogany room, which is the high roller area, and had been working there for six years and developed lung cancer, mm. which he is claiming was directly attributable to the significant amount of cigarette and cigar smoke mm. he was exposed to. Couldn't work like Yeah, no, no. <laughs> in the mahogany room because Crown had a special exemption from the government mm. to permit smoking indoors. So he is claiming... A common, he's brought a common law claim through the Supreme Court and claiming for damages, legal costs, uh, medical costs, things like that, mm. which can be quite significant. Mm. And he's saying, well, they failed to warn him of the risk, they mm. failed to provide proper controls, and most importantly, that they actually were aware of the risk because they had received previous complaints from other employees mm. that they developed medical conditions mm. as a result of working there. So I think... It's a really interesting one to watch. Mm. We suspect it probably will settle, but it will will definitely open the doors Mm. to more such claims. And not only Crown, but any other business where there is a known obvious risk and Mm. you aren't putting the controls in place, then you could be liable for common law claims, but also for safety prosecutions. Like one that comes to mind is in the meat industry, Q fever is a well-known risk. Mm. If you are having any contact with cattle and you don't have a Q-fever vaccine and you don't know you're immune, then the chances of you getting seriously sick are very high and that's mm. well known within the industry. So if you have employees and you're exposing them to the risk with no controls, then you will be prosecuted mm. and they can bring these common law claims too. Yeah. So just a reminder that make sure mm. 
if there are known high risks that you have controls in place, otherwise you're just exposing yourself. Yeah, yeah I don't think Crown will be able to defend that one. No, I don't think so. All righty. So this is another interesting one. So we've got a disability support worker who injured her knee at work August 2022. The dates are relevant. Slept at work, injured her knee, uh, had some time off, went back to work, performed suitable duties but couldn't maintain it and so she ended up resigning. So a few months later she was at home cooking and the smoke alarm went off so she climbed up on her stepladder and was reaching up to turn off the smoke alarm and she fell and fractured her wrist. Oh, wow. And so she made a claim against the work cover claim for the medical treatment for the wrist. So she could make that claim even though she effectively ended her employment. Yeah. So what the case involved was an analysis of the medical evidence. So the employer said, oh, no, she just lost her balance as she was reaching up to turn off the smoke alarm. But her medical evidence was that, no, with the nature of the injury and what had happened at the time and her version of events was that her knee actually gave way and that was the cause of the fall. And so the court took a really strong analytical view or analysis of the medical evidence as to the cause of the fall and if it was therefore causally linked to the original knee injury and there was an unbroken chain of events. So that made them liable. So made them liable. The case obviously didn't talk about this because it wasn't relevant, but if she'd brought a claim for weekly payments, I doubt they would have been compensable because she didn't suffer the injury out of her in the course of employment, which is a threshold test for that sort of primary injury. I see. But, yeah, so interesting case. But, you know, really nothing an employer could do in these circumstances to protect themselves against this sort of thing. And, Kim... Could this still impact the premium even though the employee is no longer there? Yeah, it will because premium, a claim will impact premium for three years and so what impacts premium are the actual costs paid under the claim. Yeah. So any medical treatment she had would go on the claim costs and that would drive up premium. Really interesting. So it's mm. really just bad luck. Yeah, like it really happens, is in that yeah. case. Mm. Oh, and was wolf as well, which made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so in this case, Polymaster, I think, delivers rain tanks and uh, for this particular case, they had a Polymaster contractor using a flatbed truck to deliver a rain tank to a customer's property. In the course of unloading it, the customer and their neighbour were helping the contractor unload it and unfortunately it fell and fatally crushed the neighbour. And it was not the first time something like this had happened. I think a couple of months ago they had nearly identical incident happen. For the same employer or surely not? Same employer. Yeah, same employer, which is why WorkSafe brought charges and said, Mm -hmm. look, you should have known by now that you cannot have non-employees assisting with the process. Mm -hmm. Like it's all nice that people want to help, but it is far too dangerous because the risk is too high. You've you had already one serious mm. incident and now the second one. And so they really should have had some kind of mechanical system to help them with the unloading. Mm. So I think this is just a good reminder for employers that your obligations for safety don't just end at your employees and your yeah. workers and your contractors, yeah. right? That's what most of our focus is on because mm. that's what we see and often where people get injured. But Even if you're in an office, if people, visitors are entering that office space, you have obligations to make sure it's safe for them. Mm. 
And if they get injured, while you wouldn't get a workers' compensation claim, you can have a safety prosecution over it. Yeah. Like, so any kind of risk, make sure you're doing the risk assessments and make sure that you have the protections in place mm. for non-employees. And a common example I see is everyone has OHS policies for your employees and your contractors, mm. but never one for visitors. No. Yeah. No. But it's such a small fix you can have mm. so that if something does happen and WorkSafe comes knocking, you can say, no, we've got a separate policy for visitors so that they know what their obligations are and we know what our obligations are mm. for them as well. Mm. So don't forget about not employees. Mm. <laughs> the consequences can be just shocking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All so right. Main topic. Main topic. So another topic that we're talking about from closing the loopholes, mm-hmm. Bill, and this is closing the labour hire loopholes, Bill. And look, I've got to refer to my notes because this is a really big one, Nina. It is. There's a it's lot a, of information. There's a lot of in this. We won't have time to go into all of it. I'll, we'll try and simplify it and make it as practical as possible. But when we're talking about labour hire, we're talking about an employer who directly employs an employee and then that employee will go off to a host employer and do work at the host. So I'll be referring to an employer, employee and the host. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So the current law relating to labour hire workers under National Employment Standards obviously entitled to minimum entitlements under the EBS. If subject to the nature of the work they do, if they're captured by an award, they'll be entitled to the minimum entitlements and conditions under the award. And if their employer has an EA, obviously they'll be subject to that EA. Yep. But what the Labor Hire Loopholes Bill is trying to achieve is if you do the same job alongside another person, you get the same pay. Yep. So for an employee at a host, they will be entitled to the same pay and entitlements monetary entitlements as the host's employee. Yeah, and okay. the purpose of that, Kim, wasn't it? Because obviously the host has taken some time and effort to negotiate this enterprise agreement with their workers. Yeah. And so they didn't want, well, the government didn't want labour hire to then come in and undercut that exactly. because it would be very unfair then and yeah. it would discourage people from engaging directly and just turning to labour hire. Yeah. Yeah. So how it will apply is that the Fair Work Commission will be able to make a regulated labour hire arrangement order Mm -hmm. which will impose on the employer to pay their employee the same as the regulated or the the host's employees, if that makes sense. The same full rate of pay. Full rate of pay. And so that includes pay rates, penalty rates, overtime rates, bonuses and incentives, obviously not annual leave or anything like that because they already receive that from their employer. Yeah. But in terms of monetary rates yeah. at the host, they will be entitled to all of that in circumstances where the host has an enterprise agreement or industrial instrument. They will be paid under the host's or need to be paid by their employer under the host's EA terms. Yeah, so to be clear, though, they're not covered by no. the EA. No, no, no. It's just that they have to be paid that same full rate of pay. I think that's it's right. called a protected rate of pay yeah, or something like right. that. Yeah. And it includes loadings as well. So yeah. it's just to make sure that Kim's right for monetary purposes because we were having a debate before as to whether it would include entitlements like leave or mm. things like that, but it wouldn't because that that's an employee entitlement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so that's different. 
like the employer in this case would already be providing the leave entitlements and things like that. That's right. Just making sure that the rate of pay is the yeah. same. Yeah. yeah. So this won't likely to take effect November next year. And then after that, either the employee of the labour hire employer may apply to the Fair Work Commission for a regulated labour hire arrangement order. <laughs> the host can, an employee of the host can apply or yeah. the union. Yeah. Where it won't, there are some exemptions. It won't apply to a training arrangement like an apprenticeship or if the engagement is less for three months. It also won't apply if the, I always forget if it's which one, small business one. Oh, if the host is a small business, it won't apply. But if the employer is a small business, business, then it is. Yeah, thank you for clarifying. So there'll be a number of criteria the Fair Work Commission will need to take into account whether it's just and reasonable to yeah. make one of these so orders. It's not an automatic order. Like yeah, they no. will consider it. Yeah. Um, so it's just some examples. Pay arrangements of the employees of the host employer and the industrial instrument that covers them, whether the work is going to be performed just as labour or if it's a specific service. Yeah. So if it's a specific service, less likely to be awarded or to make the... Yeah, I think um, I saw there were distinctions that people were talking about how if, say, it was like an IT service, like we have an IT hmm. um, provider who comes to our offices, it's not going to really capture those kinds no. of arrangements, yeah. And they, they look at the wider work arrangements and the relationship between the host and the employer and that sort of thing. So it will be quite a complex piece of legislation if it comes in, so we'll wait and see what happens there. So if the employee of the employer is a casual but the host doesn't employ casuals, then the casual will be paid as if they were a permanent employee under the host's arrangements but they'll have the 25%. Yeah, so they'll actually get paid more. Yeah. Yeah. And actually talking about paying more, the change, if the host is... EA has a lower pay rate than what the labour hire provider is already paying. They won't make no. an order to make it less. It no. doesn't have to be matched. Like if you're yeah. paying better off, then that's fine. Yeah. But there will be a lot of consequences for this, especially on the mm. labour hire employer because they will end up paying more, I yeah. have no doubt, than what they already pay their employees. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, now, interesting though, the host employer has an obligation to advise the employer what their pay rates are so that the employer can calculate them. And if the host provides inaccurate information, they can actually be liable to civil penalty. Yeah. And it, it, the, I think the legislation has said, like, in those cases where the mistake has been on the host, then the employer won't be liable yeah, at all. Yeah. So it forces them to work together, which yeah. I think is good. Hmm. So there we go. We'll see how yeah. it all unfolds. Look, don't think it will be that big a change. Like, we've heard about it with the PALM scheme, mm. which is the federal government scheme where workers from overseas are being brought in through labour hire and that already has requirements for same pay parity. Mm. So I think all this talk and commentary about, oh, this is going to be huge changes, I don't think it's going to affect that many labour hire providers because most of them are already having to do this Mm. and have already had to take those, those steps. And by November 2024, I think it would only be few small exceptions who haven't jumped on okay. that boat. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right. Let's oh, talk about yeah. the case study. Case, we're going to have to listen very carefully with this one. It's it a is a bit of a tricky one. one. Andrew's yeah. gone to town on this one. So I'll read it slowly, but I had to read it a few times just to get my head around. There's a lot of moving There's parts. a lot in this yeah. one. So 
So Kitchen Hands Proprietary Limited, or KH, was a commercial caterer. It was difficult to retain staff, particularly waiting staff. KH agreed to undertake a function at the Bright City Bowling Club, BCBC. BCBC engaged KH for the function. Kiana, the CEO of KH, asked BCBC if they had any casual staff that they could engage through BCBC for the night. Andrew. (laughs) They would pay BCBC 10% on top of wages for the night to cover their costs. This suited KH because they paid 15% over the award under their EA and BCBC paid in accordance with the award. So there was a small profit to be made and no workers' compensation risks on KH. Kiana attended BCBC to inspect the premises. It was unusual for him to attend the site. It was a business that ran between 50 to 100 functions a week, but this one was for over 1,000 people. They would have to bring in some of their own cooking equipment and on reviewing the plan, it had some real safety concerns for him. The function went well. Three of the young waiters asked Kiana if they could stay on casually as the BCBC only used them two nights a week. Kiana spoke with the BCBC CEO, Tina, and she said she was happy to keep the same arrangement, which was a win-win for both organisations. At the next BCBC function, a year later for a 1,000 people, Kiana again attended site, spoke with Tina whilst they reviewed the safety plan and raised concerns about the sloping, uneven ground the barbecues supplied by KH would have to be located on. The risk assessment showed there was a risk of people tripping and being burnt by the barbecues but did not identify the obvious hazard of a person bumping the barbecue and knocking it over which would send hot red coals over an area containing flammable items, including gas bottles. They agreed to put down sand and a carpet to keep the barbecue safe. Chris, one of the loaned wait staff from BCBC to KH, had been drinking most of the night, a very common issue with wait staff hired by KH. He was one of many. He was bringing out a box of beers when he tripped on a depressed area of carpet fell, he was a big young man, knocked over a barbecue, the contents quickly catching fire to the carpet, a nearby hay bale, and minutes later gas bottles started to explode. Chris died from a bottle explosion where shrapnel from the gas bottle sliced through his femoral artery. Oh, Andrew, that was so graphic. That was not a nice one to read, actually. No, So, Nina, for you. Was BCBC and KH in a labour hire relationship and caught by the state labour hire legislation? And if so, who could be prosecuted and for what? Yeah, so I think Andrew specifically made this very tricky because (laughs) this case study is not contemplating the normal standard labour hire and host relationship. You know, we all know if you've got a Meatworks and you have a labour hire provider who is providing the employees, then it's a clear labour hire arrangement. Mm. But in Victoria, we have the Labour Hire Licensing Act, which is very, very broad, and it was instituted by the Labour government in consultation with the unions, and it captures a lot more different types of arrangements, and that's specifically what happened here. Mm. So a labour hire arrangement can arise when a business is supplying individuals to work in and as part of the 
we'll call them the host business or undertaking and they're directly paying the employee. So in this case, BCBC is providing the casual workers to work for KH to supplement their work, but they're still paying them directly. So they're their employees. So it actually would be captured Mm. under the Labor Hire Licensing Act, which they probably didn't think of and most people wouldn't have thought of too. And so because it's captured, they would have had to get a license from the Labor Hire Authority. And because they didn't, they would be prosecuted likely and the penalty is 150000 for Kiana as the individual mm-hmm. and 600000 for KH business. On the other hand, BCBC is also liable because, oh, wait, no, sorry, flip that around. BCBC was the one. So they're yeah. the ones who should have been licensed. <laughs> but KH, as the one who is engaging BCBC as the labour hire provider, yeah. is also in breach because you cannot engage a labour hire provider that is unlicensed and you are up for the exact same penalties as well. So 600K, 150,000. So I think it's just really tricky there to put it in here. (laughs) But I would strongly recommend that you review your arrangements because if you are supplying any employees to other companies and they're involved in operational requirements, so they're actually doing things within the business, then there is a potential that they could be captured under these roles. Not so much if it was like like a secondment, like a temporary arrangement, or if it was was a consultancy thing where they were coming in to more advise on the operations. But if there's an operational role, then there is a real potential it could be captured. Yeah. All right. So, Kim, under closing the loop, would Chris and his cohort of BCBC workers be able to make an application to the Fair Work Commission for a protected rate of pay? Yes, they would, but it would have to be for an engagement longer than three months. If it was less than three months, well, then that falls within the exceptions of the yeah. Blue Pulse Bill. Cool. Okay. And then would KH be liable for a family death benefit claim under the Wrongs Act? No, because KH are not the primary employer, but BCBC would be, but BCBC would join KH and then KH would seek to rely on their public liability insurance, Mm -hmm. but the insurer may not indemnify them because they're operating under an illegal contract. Nice. Okay, last one. What a safety one for you, Nina. Who would be liable under safety law if at all and why? I think they both would be. Mm. So there's a common misunderstanding that labour hire and hosts can kind of separate what their duties are and there's been changes to get around that, specifically that if you have labour hire employees, they're deemed to be employees for the purposes of the host employee safety obligations. So you're actually supposed to consult with each other. So in this case, the risk assessment was terribly done, didn't account for the major risk, mm. and they allowed the barbecue to so easily be knocked over. It was next to flammable gas bottles, which should mm. never be the case. So there's high risk, no controls done to address it, and they also permitted drunk people to be around. They didn't put controls around that as well. And remember, safety law, you have to account for stupid people. So... <laughs> No, no, seriously, I did a training and I was like, you have to. It doesn't matter if they do the wrong thing. Like, Mm. you have to put controls to protect them from it. So there's a high risk that they'd be guilty of reckless endangerment Mm. for being indifferent to the risk and not putting controls in place. All right. Okay, got through it. Yeah. So 
break next week because of the public holiday yep. and you and Andrew are both away next week. You're heading mm. off to Vietnam, you like yeah. the thing, for <laughs> almost a couple of weeks. So we won't see Nina for a little while, That'll unfortunately. Be Andrew and you next yeah. time. We will miss you very much. Oh, thank you. Very much. Give us a thumbs up <laughs> so that we can know that we're doing well without Andrew. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs>